What's going on? Welcome back to the Jordan Syatt Mini Podcast. I have an amazing episode for you today. Make sure you listen the whole way through because I speak with Inner Circle member Morgan and we talk about a lot. Uh, Morgan is a farmer from North Carolina and we start off the conversation talking about the difference between conventional and organic crops and a lot of the myths associated with that. We talk about Morgan's struggles with postpartum depression. We talk about how she can lower her cholesterol. We talk about so much in this episode. It was really an amazing conversation and I think you're going to like it a lot. So if you do, please leave a five-star review on iTunes and if you would like to join the Inner Circle, you can do that at the link in the show notes or www.sfinnercircle.com. Morgan, we're live. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Jordan? I'm doing amazing. I'm very, very excited about this. I've been looking forward to this. So thank you for reaching out and, and setting this up. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for giving me your time. So so do me a favor before we dive into everything. Just tell me more about you, who you are, where you're from, what do you do? I just want to get to know you better. Okay, sure. Um, so my name is Morgan. Um, I am a farmer. I farm with my dad. Um, we have a sod farm that we've run for about 30 years, um, and a blueberry farm. So, um, that is fun and exciting and very busy. (laughs) Um, I can't even imagine that must be crazy. Yeah. Um, so, but I, I love it and I've loved being able to talk about it in the inner circle. Um, just sharing my knowledge about like produce and how the market works and what I think the best blueberries are. Um, I've just, I've really enjoyed, um, being able to share that with, with everybody. So, well, I'd love to talk about that today. If you're, if you're interested in willing. Sure. Absolutely. So, so talk to me, like talking about what some of the common misconceptions are talking about what, what you've enjoyed teaching people. I would love to hear. Oh, sure. So, um, Actually, probably one of the, like, your posts that made me be like, okay, I'll follow this guy, um, (laughs) was um, you had made a post about how organic food isn't necessarily healthier for you um, and kind of some misconceptions around that. Um, And we're conventional farmers, um, which means we use um, synthetic, uh, I guess we'll say, chemicals on our blueberry I, I will get scared about that world word, but you know, blueberries are made up of chemicals. All food are chemicals. Correct. Um, Oxygen. I, I can breathe it in every day. It's a chemical. <laughs> exactly. Water is a chemical. Um, so I think people get really scared about that. Um, but um, one of the things is, is that like, if you, if you're eating organic, like I'm fine with if people want to choose to eat organic, but like, a lot of people have misconceptions of what organic means. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, it doesn't mean that your food isn't going to have pesticides sprayed on it. Um, you know, and it just means like, it's the chemical, it's like how those chemicals are made. Um, and I, you know, like, that's one of the things that I would love to educate people more on. Um, because like farming is like a very interesting like profession where it's very revered. People are like, oh, we'd starve without farmers. But at the same time, people want to tell you exactly how you should be farming um, <laughs> and like what you should and shouldn't do. And they're like, oh, you're killing the environment. And it's just like, well, we actually need that environment to continue our profession. So like we're actually doing everything to be as sustainable as possible. 
Right. Um, without without the environment, we couldn't do our job. So it's I promise you, we're not killing the environment. You exactly, might be misinformed exactly. as to what's killing the environment. Exactly. So um, it's it's just I've learned a lot in the past um, eight years since I've been working with my dad and the blueberries and um, getting to talk to people and and kind of clarify some things. Yeah, in that field is has been fun. So can you talk about, and I'm sorry, like I didn't even know we were going to this, but I'm really excited because this is so <laughs> people don't know. One of the things that people are always very surprised about, they think that organic means there are no pesticides. Organic means there's no chemicals. Like, can you talk about that? Like what's actually going on with organic foods? Um, well, I, I can probably tell you a little bit more about what's going on with conventional foods. Okay. Um, sure. But, but, but so organic, I mean, you're still going to have fertilizers applied, you're still going to have, um, you know, pesticide, insecticides or fungicides, whatever applied to those plants at certain times of your growing season. Um, because if you don't, those pests, those pests will destroy your crop and you right. know, your goal in farming is to produce a crop and make a profit, um, which is also a fun story. Um, but so in using, um, synthetic chemicals, um, we know exactly how long it will take for that pesticide to break down. Um, so we have to keep track. Um, we have to keep paperwork on when we spray the weather conditions to make sure there's not drift. Um, we have a reentry um, interval, which means we can't send people into the fields um, until we know it's broken down. Um, we don't pick any fruit until several days after it's been sprayed. And a lot of people would hear that and think, oh, that's because it's so toxic. And I'm like, well, if you drink too much water, it's going to poison you. Correct. Um, that's exactly. So, so well, by the time, by the time your food gets to you and has gone through the grocery store, like there might be residues on the fruit, but if you rinse it off, like it's, it's not going to hurt you. Um, can, can I ask you? Just, I think this is what a lot of people don't realize. What is the goal of a pesticide? What is the, why do you do it? Why do you use it? What's the purpose of it? Okay. So for one, for us, one of our biggest pests is um, a spotted wing drosophila, which is a fruit fly essentially. Um, so we spray our fruit um, at certain points of the season um, to prevent those flies from laying eggs on the fruit. Mm. Um because you don't want to buy fruit at the grocery store that has worms in it. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and um, and on, on top of that, like we do tests like on a near daily basis. Um, we'll go grab some fruit off the bushes and we do um, a salt test. And this kind of went viral um, a couple of years ago of somebody doing a fruit test on some strawberries, I think, that had worms in it. And so you do like a salt mixture and you mash up your fruit. Oh, I remember that there, video going viral. They'll float yeah. to the top, yeah. So we do those tests on a near daily basis, and if we find any worms in that field, we stop picking. Like, we're not allowed to sell that fruit at that point. Mm. Um, and so, um, but but talking about, like, to go back to the organic and conventional, a lot of people think that organic food is going to have less pesticide residues, um, which is a huge misconception. Um and if I could direct anybody to a resource that could probably explain it a lot better than me, um, one account on Instagram that I love is Food Science Babe. Yes. Yeah, oh, my she, God. She's she great. does such an excellent job of 
like breaking down like why you shouldn't be scared of the dirty dozen and like just because Mm -hmm. it's organic doesn't mean it's not going to have pesticide residue and like quite frankly like i've eaten so much fruit straight off the bush without washing it like (laughs) if anything negative is going to happen i i would have like sprouted a third eye by now um but i've never gotten sick like and like as long as you're washing your food you know rinsing it off from the grocery store you're going to be fine you know it's it's i'm really glad that you brought this up this it's and i'll say this from the very beginning nutrition and food in of itself is a very uh divisive topic people get very emotional emotional excuse me about food and we see this based on you know someone's like well i'm pro keto and someone else is like well i'm anti keto and then they're going to have a war with each other right it's like people put the right. way that they eat in the bio of their instagram profile because it means so much to them and so there's there's a lot of divisiveness over nutrition and especially around safety of nutrition and there's right. a lot of fear-mongering and misinformation and when i was younger and just getting involved in nutrition like when I was 15, 16, 17, starting to read books about it and getting really excited about it. I was petrified of anything that wasn't organic because of everything that I had read. And I was just, I was swamped with information or misinformation about how dangerous foods are if they're not organic. And, and I remember one of my biggest regrets looking back on my life is when I was young, we didn't have much money growing up. And my mom and I would get in huge fights because I would I would basically shame her for not being for not getting organic food, thinking like you're poisoning us. Right. And like I feel so bad about this now and I've apologized so many times over. But thinking back to when I was a kid, like shaming my mom for not being able to get us organic food because I thought that it was going to be poisoning us. And it's one of the reasons I talk about it so much now, because as I went through college and as I studied this and got a, a higher education and understood the science more. I've realized there are so many parents out there who are fearful that they're poisoning their children because they can't afford or they're not getting organic foods. It's it's probably the the one of the foremost reasons why I talk about this on a somewhat regular basis because I don't want people to think that getting organic or not being able to afford organic or not getting organic is is dangerous. In fact, there they there are risks associated with organic foods, and I always say if you want to buy organic, go for it. That's fine, but I just don't want someone to feel guilty for not getting organic because they can't afford it. And and the reality is like it, it's not bad it's it's totally fine to eat conventional produce absolutely um and i i know a lot of people from an environmental standpoint think that organic is better um and to to name drop another um, resource that can probably explain it a lot better than i can especially in the time that we have um is there's a podcast called science versus and they, they cover a lot of different topics, but they have one on organics and they kind of touch on GMOs also um, because for something to be certified organic, it has to also be a non-GMO. And don't even get me started on that, on like the, <laughs> the whole fear. Don't even get me started yeah. on the on the GMO craze. I, I will lose my mind about like the fear mongering around that. But yeah, sorry. Yes. So, so. Um, if you have questions, like to any listeners, if you have questions about GMOs or organic, listen to the Science Versus um, podcast on organics, and it is it is eye opening with all like study citations. Like you know, they're always very thorough, and like that's one of my favorite podcasts. So. Well, I thank you for naming that podcast. I've never heard of that, so I'm going to check that out. And also, thank you for dropping uh, Food Science Babe. She's wonderful. I, I like. I'll, I'll put her 
her uh, handle in the show notes of this episode because I think her stuff is phenomenal. So thank you for that. And also, oh, absolutely. Thank you for for like, I did not expect the beginning of this conversation to go this way at all. But like, <laughs> thank you. I think when people hear about organic or conventional and farmers, for most people, that's sort of an abstract concept that they can't really picture. They can't really right. put a face to a name or a voice to it. And here you are just a regular person who this is your job, this is your livelihood, and you're discussing it openly. I think that helps people understand when they go in the grocery store and they look at these foods and it's conventional versus organic, they can now think like, okay, so there's a real farmer behind these crops. There's a real farmer behind these foods. And it's not like some industry that's out to get me and kill my family. Like th this conventional oh, product was raised by a real farmer with a real family with and and there there are unbelievably strict and rigid rules and guidelines they have to follow to make sure that it's safe to put here. So I, oh, I think yeah. uh, just <laughs> to have you here voicing if, that is so important. If people understood the amount of paperwork that we have to do um, to be able to ship our fruit to grocery stores, like you you wouldn't question like how your food is produced like it, there's so much oversight and regulations and you know rules that we have to follow to make sure our food stays safe um and like i remember a few years ago i was following somebody on instagram and she put that you should always buy your food at farmers markets um because they're not covered in chemicals and i'm like Oh okay, my well, God. Sold, and I was just like, okay, well, we've sold our fruit at farmers markets and the grocery store. So like, are we the bad guy or are we the good guy? Like, right, right. <laughs> so, um, and not to, you know, if you can buy your food at farmers markets, that's great because you're cutting out the middleman and usually yeah. dealing directly with the farmer, um, which brings up a whole nother thing about how we make money on our blueberries. Um, cause it's, can be heart wrenching. Like you can work as hard as you possibly can. Like there have been seasons where I have worked 14 to 17 hours, seven days a week for six weeks. And like the market can work against us. And like, we still like make maybe, you know, a $10,000 profit. Like, and I would imagine there's probably times where you lose money at the end of a season. Oh, I would yeah, imagine. Yeah. Like, but, and like, it's just so like, we are so, not in control of, you know, setting the price for our berries. It depends on the market and how, you know, how much produce is out there and what the marketers have pre-sold orders for and how Georgia does in their season because, you know, their season comes in ahead of ours. Mm. Like, there's just so many factors that are outside of your control. Like, farming is not for the faint of heart, for sure. <laughs> that, that's a fact. You know, it's so, yeah. I, I sort of, Maybe I even unfairly bash on the University of Delaware. It's where I went to college and, and you know, I, I didn't really enjoy it. And there was a lot that is a valid criticism, but a lot of, a lot of it is also just like, I don't think I was in the right frame of mind to go to any school at that point in my life. But one of the, the best, I, one of the best things I did, I, I majored in behavioral health psychology, but there were many, many, many nutrition courses that we took in order to, cause it was focused on, on nutritional sciences. And 
one of the best courses I've ever taken in my life was uh, all about, you know, sort of organic versus conventional produce. My professor, she was incredible. And she took us to local farmers in the Delaware area. And like they had us explain to us what was going on, what the rules were, what the guidelines were, everything they had to go through in order to to get their crops actually in the store to make it like to be able to sell. And it, it completely changed my view on what farmers actually go through, what the food is actually going through, the safety of it all. It's uh, it, it's one of those things I wish everyone had to go through that type of a course because it really right. shows you the truth about this and, and allows you to get a better understanding so you can be a better critical thinker when the media is throwing this stuff down your throat saying like, well, this is dangerous and don't feed your kids this and the dirty dozen this. It's like you're you're getting such a, a propaganda-based narrative around what's going on and a lot of it is just simply because that's where the money is. So it's uh, – oh, yeah. Yeah, it's very unfortunate, but I, I'm glad that you're here speaking about it. No, thank you. Where, where is I'm, your farm I'm happy based? Happy to share about it. Where, where is your farm based, Morgan? Um, so we are in a small town in rural North Carolina. Um, we're probably about 30 miles from Wilmington. Um, that's probably the the most identifying city. <laughs> um, Got it. I mean, it, if I if I told you Maple Hill, that would mean nothing to you. Um, Correct. That's but, true. <laughs> so we're about 30 miles from Wilmington um, is where we're at. So southeastern North Carolina. Amazing. Amazing. Yep. Well, well, thank you. And so, I mean, having said all of that, is there anything that you'd anything else you'd like to discuss today? Anything that you want to go over or talk about? Um, so I figured I figured I would just kind of give a brief history about um, me and how I found the inner circle and how much I have learned from the inner circle and um, I kind of had a fun experience a couple or about a year and a half ago, um, when I had my son and all the complications that arose from that. And I figured talking about that could probably help somebody too. So I would love that. Um, I'm going to give you, or <laughs> you, you take it away. I would love to hear about this. Okay. Um, so I'll start probably about, I'll start when I was in college. I won't get, you know, go back to when I was born, but, um, <laughs> when I was in college, I had, well, I'll, take that back. I'll start when I was in high school. So in high school, I played three sports year round. Um, but I was always a little bit on the heavy side. Um, but it wasn't like nobody could call me lazy. Um, and when I got to college, of course, you know, stopping playing those sports, um, my weight kind of caught up with me, but I was always in the frame of mind that, um, exercise equals weight loss. And then that never quite works out because, as I've learned in the inner circle, the nutrition drives the car. Um, so, you know, all through college, I kind of gained weight and lost weight. And then after college, I was like, okay, like I'm, I'm going to get fit. Um, and I did the P90X route. I tried just straight running um, and nothing, I, nothing was sustainable. Nothing like I couldn't just like go out and run three miles every day or more. And, you know, like, there was no like rest period for that. Um, and then probably about 10 years ago, I had a coworker who um, lost weight. She looked really great. And so I asked her what she was doing and she was like, oh, I read this book. And so she gave me this book and I read it and I was like, okay, this seems, this seems reasonable. Um, and it was basically three meals, two snacks, uh, 20 minutes of cardio, five days a week, three days of weights. Um, and I did that, I lost weight, I felt great. Um, and that was probably like my first successful weight loss. 
um, without like while trying. And but part of like part of that system was very, um, I guess, fear mongering and kind of restrictive. Like you can only have one serving of dairy a day and like nothing over seven grams of sugar. And um, but and then it was structured of twice a week. Like if you ate quote unquote clean all week on the weekend, you could have two meals up to fifteen hundred calories. Which in retrospect, knowing what I know now, like <laughs> that is a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Um, like if I had if I had indulged in that and ate fifteen hundred calories for two meals on the weekends, like that would have completely outdone like any deficit I had. Um, but um, but regardless, I was successful. Um, but then um, my mom got sick. I moved home. Like I quit my job. I was living in Raleigh at the time. Um, I moved home. And my mom was sick and through helping take care of her and starting to work at the farm, um, I gained a little bit of weight back. And then at that point, um, I didn't have access to a gym and um, I would try to stay on, you know, stay on that three meals, two snacks. But um, with stress eating and emotional eating, like it just kind of creeped back up. Mm. Um but then after my mother died, so a few months before my mother died, um, I started having trouble with my left ear. Um, and like I woke up one morning and it was just this like shrill ringing in my ear and it felt like I had just had cotton stuffed in it. Like I could barely hear out of that ear. Wow. I, I went to the doctor and they were like, oh, we don't know what's wrong with you. Sometimes you just lose most of your hearing in your ear. What? Um, yeah. That's crazy. crazy. <laughs> so, and I, and that went on for about six months. So that started in September. Oh my uh, God. And in April, um, I went to a beer fest with my friends and the next morning I woke up with the most like horrible vertigo you could imagine. Like, I remember my sister was out of town and I remember like texting her and be like, I need you to come home because like, I may need to go to the hospital. Like wow. I was laying on my bathroom floor and it felt like the floor was tilted and I was like sliding through the floor. Jeez. And, and so I went to the doctor after that. And the funny thing is, is that morning when the vertigo started, suddenly I could hear more out of my ear and I went back to um, my ENT and they were like, oh, okay, so now that you have vertigo, we can diagnose you. Um, and so basically it's called Meniere's disease and it's when the fluid in your inner ear does not regulate the way it should mm. and it causes hearing loss, ringing, and vertigo. And so they say, we can put you on a diuretic for this. Um, sometimes it helps, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but here is a list of foods to avoid. And they were, and they said, avoid caffeine, alcohol, sugar, and salt. Okay. <laughs> and I was like, well, there goes eating for any sort of enjoyment. Um, <laughs> and so, and like, and I'm always really frustrated when like you go to the doctor and they say, okay, this is wrong. Like you can change it with your diet. And, but then they just kind of give you like a eh, avoid cheese. And it's just like, okay. Um, like it, they never quite give you the information that you're looking for. Right. Correct. Yep. And so, well, I, the good news was like, I had pretty much quit drinking at that point in my life. Um, 
I had already quit caffeine a few years prior. So that wasn't an issue. Um, sugar was sugar and salt were going to be a big one for me. Um, but I was like, okay, well let's, let's try this. And basically I think I lost maybe 20, 25 pounds in like four months. Um, like, and, and like, and of course, like I wasn't trying, but I was scared to eat anything. And even, and it was like very weird. Like some days I could just sit down and eat a normal meal and I wouldn't have an attack. And then some days I could eat like five peanut butter M&Ms and like <laughs> would be sick the whole next day with Um, So it was very like, you couldn't predict it. You couldn't figure out, like I couldn't figure out what was like would trigger an attack. Um, and it was just, it was awful. And like, at that point, um, so a few months after that, I got down to my lowest weight ever. And um, so like, and I, I hate throwing out like, like my weight because that's very specific to me. And I can be like, oh, I was 135. But like, if you don't know me, that means nothing. Correct. Um, so like, Correct. I was, so I had gotten to like a size four. And it, so I was the smallest that I had ever been. Um, and I remember like on the day of one of my best friend's weddings, like waking up that morning and getting dressed and like looking in the mirror and being like, oh, you look good. And then like crying because I still hated my body. Ugh. And and I like I remember it being that day that like I thought I had always hated my body and then that changed and I realized that it wasn't my body that was the problem. It was my brain that was the problem. And it's like when you hate your body, like, you know, that it can, like, you know, your body's going to change and that maybe you could fix it. Like, I had no clue how to go about fixing my mindset and mm. like my brain around this. And it was just like a, like a pure moment of panic of like, crap, what do I do now? That's a really good clarification. I've never heard someone articulate it that way. It's it's not the body, it's the brain and then being fearful because you don't know how to change your brain. That's a really good clarification. Right. And and so like that started a very interesting journey for me because like I knew I knew the problem was my mind, but I didn't know how to fix it and I kind of just started exploring like okay well body positivity and everybody's like you should love your body and everything <laughs> in. and like and I'll, I'll just go ahead and jump into that one because like <laughs> I've gotten to the point that like I don't think you should love your body like I don't think you have to love your body in every form that it's in I think you should appreciate it and accept it like and that is where I think I've made the most progress in joining the inner circle and like just being around people who like have the same goals and the same, like the same struggles and who are working with this, like through the same things is that like, I've made the most progress in realizing I don't have to hate my body. I just need to accept it. Mm. And like accepting where it's at, like frees up so much mental space. Um, and, and that's something I've probably learned the most in, in the inner circle is like through doing the unicorn strong program and realizing that I wasn't broken. Like I learned to redirect my mental energy to what was going to be most productive. Um, and hating, hating my body is not productive and like trying to get to the opposite end of that spectrum 
of loving my body seemed like a lot of wasted energy too. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm just, I'm just going to work to accept it. Like, this is where I'm at today. I love um, that. I love that because I, I'm going to interrupt just for one second. Cause this sure. is, this is such an important point and I'm so glad that you're hitting on it because one of the issues with just blanket telling people you should love your body. Imagine telling someone who's depressed, right? You should just love yourself, right? Someone who's struggling with suicidal thoughts, someone who's struggling with anything that will, but you should just love yourself. It's like, that's going to make that person feel so much worse because the truth is they don't. And, and if you just say, well, you should, you're causing far more harm. You're making them feel like, well, something must be wrong with me because everyone is telling me I should, but I don't. And when you apply this to like, well, you should just love your body, but what if I don't, right? And so now you're you're creating this internal dialogue of self of self hate and shame when there's one thing to accept and to appreciate, it's another thing to force someone to love. And so for you to get to this point where like, well, I can accept it and appreciate what it does for me, but for someone just to blanket say like, I should be loving it, that's, it's a different conversation. So I love that you, that you clarified that and spoke about that because it's also a lot of people get very emotional and upset when we had this conversation, but I think that you're, you're, you're very articulate with how you express it. So thank you. Well, thank you. Um, but yeah, so I had listened to a podcast also like a couple of years ago and it was talking about, and like, cause I've always said comparison is the thief of joy. Um, and I listened to a podcast and it was talking about, um, Olympic medalists and just a disclaimer. I love the Olympics. Like, oh yeah. The Olympics the are my jam. And the fact that I've gotten two Olympics in the past year, I'm, I've been very happy. Um, but <laughs> But they, this podcast was talking about how, like, if you talk to Olympic medalists and you ask them to rate their happiness, the silver medalist is going to rate their happiness below that of a bronze medalist because mm. the silver medalist is comparing their medal to the gold medalist. Oh, I was almost a gold medalist, but the bronze medalist is like, I almost didn't get a medal at all. So... <laughs> Like, when you compare, like, where you're at, like, if I'm comparing myself to, like, Gal Gadot, like, I'm never going to look like that. Like, so the <laughs> best thing I can do is, like, compare myself, okay, to maybe, maybe past versions of myself. Um, but even there, like, you've got to keep it in perspective because, like, sure, I was in great shape 10 years ago, but... Uh, Morgan from 10 years ago didn't have a kid. She was only buying food by for herself. Like she was only cooking for herself. She had complete control over what time, like how she spent her time. Like that, like I am dealing with a complete different set of circumstances now than I was then. And so like, I've recognized that different seasons are going to come through my life. And sometimes like, and I know you've talked about this, like sometimes I'm going to be in better shape than other times of my life. Um, But like, as long as I am conscious of where that energy is being focused, like I'm not, I'm going to be okay. Mm. Um, And that's kind of where I'm at. Like I've gained 30 pounds with my pregnancy, but like, that's morally neutral. That doesn't mean I'm a bad person, you know? And correct. That's exactly right. So, um, 
but to to hop back, I'm like scrolling through my notes. So to like hop back onto my onto my um, history uh, story of myself. Um, so after after my Meniere's, after I kind of got that under control um, and trying to work on my on my mental side of things, um, I got engaged and got married in 2018. Um, and of course, then I tried to like, I was like, I'm going to lose 10 pounds for the wedding. I'm going to look amazing. <laughs> um, and uh, I started working out and I was, you know, tried to get back to the three meals, two snacks. Um, and it just didn't seem to be working. And spoiler alert, I was not being patient um, <laughs> and, and, and binging on the weekends, you know, like I do really good to the weekend. Then I'd be like, well, I can have that one meal up to 1500 calories. Um, and that really did me in. Um, and that's kind of where um, shifting my mindset like started. Like I started telling myself that like, okay, well, my pictures on my wedding day aren't supposed to be like me at my most fittest. It's supposed to be me on the happiest day of my life. And yes. my body and my body can look different ways and still be happy. Um, um, so I just noticed I just an echo. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, but anyway, um, I started telling myself leading up to my wedding um, that on my wedding day, it was going to be me on my wedding day. And so that kind of turned into having a daily mantra of, okay, this is who I am today. Um, and that kind of ties back into like having that mental energy. Um, Cause I know we've talked about it in, in the inner circle a lot is like, you have days where you wake up and you feel quote unquote fat. Like you feel out of shape, you feel bloated, whatever. Um, but I've learned that if I just say, okay, well, this is just who I am today. Like I can set those emotions aside and then go about my day. Like, and I've learned that like, well, if my pants are tight, like if I just buy clothes that fit, like it doesn't change what my body is at that moment. It just, the clothes are different. That's all. Mm. And like being, and that goes back to like accepting where I'm at is I can move forward from there. Um, and I think that, and I know you've talked about it, but like, I think so many people get caught up in those emotions and those, that mental kind of circle of like where they're at physically contributes to wanting, like getting caught up there and getting, you know, focusing so much of like, well, I'm not where I want to be. And it's like, well, if you're always focusing on the fact that you're not there yet, you're using so much mental energy on that, then being like, okay, well, I'm just going to set that aside so I can focus on getting my ex for the day, like getting, you know, being able to mark off that consistency calendar day and be like, Absolutely. well, I, I hit my calories for the day. I got my workout in, like, you know, that's all that I can focus on today, knowing that it's, it's not going to change today. Like no amount of self-loathing in the moment is going to change where you're at. So it's just easier to accept where you're at so you can move forward from there. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, number one is I think the more time you spend thinking about what you don't have, that means that there's so much less time to appreciate what you do have which is one of the yeah. biggest issues with all this, like, well, I don't have this, and I don't have this, and I don't have this. It's like, but look at everything you do have. Look at how far you've come, right? And, and there, yeah. it's such a, it's a, 
a lot of people ask, well, how do I get better at, at recognizing the positives, at recognizing my wins? And I talk about this a lot, like it, it's a habit. And just like any habit, you have to make it a habit. You have to practice it. <clears throat> and I think one thing that you've clearly done very well is you're very self-aware about where your mental energy is and what you're focusing on. And I think some people, they they hear, well, oh, you're just saying, well, accept it and just accept it. And they take that to mean it's like, well, so I shouldn't strive to be better. That's not that's oh, not no. the point at all. It's not that you shouldn't strive to be better. It's you should always strive to be better. It's it's that while you're striving to be better, you can also still appreciate what you are right now. Right. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll have to like shout out Iris in the in the. Oh, episode. she's the best. She's the she best. She posted something. She posted something last week, and I swear. To God, I have like typed those exact words out from like thinking about like things that I've learned in the inner circle. And I was like, stop hacking my phone. (laughs) But she was saying like, it'd be nice that like once you make the decision to change a habit that like that's all the work that it took. That like you're like, okay, especially for like if you're an emotional eater and just be like, okay, I'm just going to stop emotionally eating. Like it would be so nice if like that's all that it took. And then you just stopped emotionally eating, (laughs) but like your brain doesn't work like that. And you have to put effort in to reform those habits and it's ugly work and it's hard work, but you like, it's definitely work you should do. And yeah, like Iris, I don't know. Iris's post in the past, like two weeks, like gosh, she has just been on fire. Yeah. Just like, I have, I have a feeling Iris is going to blow up on, on social media in terms of, like she just posts such it's been actually really cool to watch her her transformation from just like a uh a, a what's it called like just a someone who enjoys lifting and and it finds mm-hmm. passion in it to someone who's like giving out wonderful advice it's just like almost like a, a casual lifter and someone who who just enjoys it because it, it it makes her feel better to now like the way she's inspiring so many people i really think that if she wanted to she would blow up and uh i, I love everything she's doing she's she's absolutely incredible oh yeah and i i really hope that she's at the retreat so i get to meet her but i don't know if she's going or not <laughs> i hope so as well i need to check i'm going to message her to make sure she's going i i hope she is so so you're definitely going to the retreat Yes, I I, bu- I haven't booked any of my hotel or flight or anything, but I've got my ticket. So I guess I don't think I don't think I've booked my <laughs> hotel either. Just so you know, but yeah, okay, <laughs> amazing. I cannot wait to meet you. That's going to be so fun. I know. I'm so excited. Like That's I joined I joined the inner circle either like the week before or the week after um, the last retreat. So like I joined at a time and was just like immediately jealous of everybody who had like gone. And like, I've just been waiting. I've been waiting for three years and I'm just like, this is my year is going to happen. So you've been in the inner circle since 2019, right? Yes. That's amazing. And I I took a, I took a break during my pregnancy because I knew like I did not have the energy to work out. And I was like, but like, as soon as I was like, all right, let's get back in it. Like I was right back in there. So it's, you know, it's funny. My I've I've never lived with a pregnant woman before until now and uh <laughs> like you know you, you hear people talk about their pregnancies and every pregnancy is different and every woman is different but 
wow, I did not realize like until I've now seen my wife going through her pregnancy, how much it really takes out of people. Like it's oh yeah. Like aside from the the I mean, she just got out of the first trimester, or so she is feeling a little bit better now from the nausea, but she's still just exhausted. It's it's crazy to me. And she went from being such a high energy person, like making a human is a lot of work. It's it's crazy. Yeah. It's just wow, I did not realize how much it really takes out of people. So she hasn't been doing um she usually she usually loves strength training. She usually loves lifting heavy, but she's literally all she's been doing is just walking, which is plenty right now. But it's yeah. it's crazy to see how much it can really impact you. Anytime I see like videos of like women who are like nine months pregnant like running marathons or something I'm just like good for you not for me like I I was just trying to function during my pregnancy and I I didn't have a whole lot of like nausea but I had a lot of food aversions like there were a lot of things and that's actually how I realized I was pregnant Um, because like I had skipped lunch and I was so hungry and so I stopped at the grocery store I was like I'm going to make the most epic turkey sandwich that I've ever made. <laughs> and it had lettuce and onions and pickles. And I was like, oh my God, this sandwich is going to be so good. And I took that first bite and thought I was going to throw up. Shut up. And like, <laughs> I set the sandwich down and I looked up at my husband. I was like, I think I'm pregnant. <laughs> Did you really? Like, yeah. <laughs> and he That's was just so like, funny. He turned around and was like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, I think, I think I'm sure. <laughs> And it was literally, what about the sandwich made you think that? You're just like, you didn't want to eat it at all? Because it was, it was, I was craving it so bad. And then like that first bite, it was something about like the flavors, I guess. Like my stomach just flipped and it was like, nope, nope, nope. You don't want this. That's so funny. And my sister, I have an older sister and she had had a kid and she had been telling me about like the food aversions. And like, I was like, oh no, yeah, this is exactly what this is. (laughs) It's so crazy. Like I had never heard about the aversions. All I'd ever heard from my clients and people was about the cravings, but my wife hasn't had any cravings. It's literally all been aversions. That's it. Like everything has been an aversion. And the biggest one was we, we, you know, we'll order food or she'll make food and then we'll have it for leftovers. And she can have something that she has been craving, like that she just really wants. And as soon as that food goes from fresh to a leftover she like can't even smell it as soon as yeah. the leftover smell reaches her nose she's like throw it out i can't even i can't even open the fridge right now and like she won't sit with me sometimes at dinner because she's like stop eating that like i can't be with you during this like it's it's so crazy how severe they are yeah and i didn't i didn't really have any cravings but i will say like ketchup tasted different when i was pregnant like i'm not a huge ketchup person but like while I was pregnant, like fries with ketchup hit on a different <laughs> level. It was it was so good, and I can't explain it. And like now that I'm not pregnant, I'm like mm, ketchup, whatever. Like, <laughs> it, that's so funny. I'm I'm not a big ketchup person. My wife is is she uses so much ketchup. I I don't understand how she can do it. She she'll have a few fries with a big bowl of ketchup is how she how she scoops her ketchup. Same thing with salsa. Like she'll. Like, I used to, we used to, uh, well, I, like, I'm from North Carolina, <laughs> so usually it's ranch with fries. Like, like I said, like, I'm not a huge ketchup person, but ranch goes on everything. Oh, yeah, ran- oh, you could put ranch on cardboard and I'd eat that. It's so good. <laughs> Easily. <laughs> Easily. Uh, 
Um, but anyway, I guess this is a good segue to start talking about my pregnancy. So, um, I, so I got pregnant, um, 2020, uh, the, the week that I had that sandwich and realized that I was pregnant by the end of the week, the world was in lockdown. Wow. Um, Jeez. Yeah. So it was a great week to figure out that you're pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then I was just like, well, that's fine. Like, and I'm, I'm really a huge introvert. So like lockdown for me, I was thriving. I had a sewing room full of fabric. I was working on quilts. Like my husband was home. I was like, this is, this is the life. Like this is (laughs) the dream. And I understand that a lot of people were not thriving during lockdown, but I was not that person. I loved it. Um, (laughs) And, but, um, I had a pretty normal pregnancy. I was tired. I didn't work out a lot. I tried to walk um, as much walking um, as a pregnant person in a North Carolina summer can do because it's ridiculously hot and humid. Um, but probably around seven months, I started retaining a lot of water. And my doctors were like, oh, just drink more water. I'm like, I'm drinking a gallon of water a day. Um, and they're like, yeah, just drink more water. And I'm like, I, I don't think that's possible. Um, but it got to the point, like one of, one of my doctors, so I went to kind of a group and so I saw a different doctor at every, um, appointment and it was kind of like, we don't know who your delivering doctor is going to be. So meet them all. Um, and at, at one of my appointments, the doctor was just like, okay, you have to stop gaining weight. And I'm like, I'm not eating that much. And she was like, well, she was like, you've gained, you've gained a significant amount. We don't want you to gain any more. Well, and at that point, like by the time you hit third trimester, you're going to gain water and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. Of um, course. And, and then, um, at 32 weeks, like my doctor was like, well, what concerns do you have? I'm like, well, I'm really concerned about having a giant baby. And she was like, well, why is that? Like my husband was born over 10 pounds. I was like eight and a half and I was a few weeks early. Um, so big babies run in our family and they sent me to a growth measurement, um, scan. And at 32 weeks, my baby measured seven pounds. Um, and so, you know, like at 32 weeks, you've got roughly eight weeks to go and babies can gain from a half a pound to a full pound from that point on. <laughs> and so, so being told at 32 weeks that your baby could gain another four pounds, is just like, <laughs> what? Um, I actually didn't make it that, cause I was like, so can we induce this early? And they were like, no. Uh, <laughs> and, and, um, so I was like, well too late to back out now. Um, so basically by, by week 38, um, I was a swollen puffy mess. And like my sister came over and she was like, I don't think this is normal. And I was like, well, like the night before I had kind of started having like a weird feeling in my side. And I was like, Oh gosh, I feel like this was like one of the warning signs for like preeclampsia. So I took my blood pressure And I know you had posted in your stories about your wife taking her blood pressure and like my, and like my blood pressure to this point had been beautiful, like 117 over 72. And like this night I took it and it was like 178 over 95. Holy shit. And I was like, I don't, I don't think that's normal. 
And so I called the triage line and somebody was supposed to call me back. Well, nobody ever called me back. And like by the next morning, I was like, I mean, I feel fine. My blood pressure had come back down. And I was like, I, I'm probably fine. And my and that was like when my sister came over and she's like, I don't think this is normal. And she was like, I'm going with you to your appointment on Monday. And I'm like, you can't. We're in the middle of a pandemic. She's like, I'm driving you to your appointment. So I go in, they take my blood pressure, it's normal. And like they check for protein in your urine pretty much at every appointment. So there was no protein in my urine. And like, cause I sat down with, um, that day I was meeting with like one of the nurse practitioners and I said, okay, how do I not have preeclampsia? And she was like, well, your blood pressure is fine and there's no protein in your urine. I was like, okay, can you look at me? I am a swollen mess. My right side is way more swollen than my left. And she was like, well, I mean, we can do blood work if you really are that concerned about it. But I think you're fine. And I was like, let's do some blood work. Good um, for you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, glad oh, that you did it. Wow. Yeah. And she actually, she sent me for an ultrasound to make sure I didn't have any blood clots in my legs, um, which I didn't. And then that night, like my husband got home and I was telling him about the appointment and how it went. I was like, so they did blood work. You know, I guess they'll call me in a day or two. And they actually called me that night at eight o'clock and she said, um, so we got your blood work back and we need you. She was like, you do, your liver enzymes are kind of high. We need you to go to the hospital for monitoring. And I was like, okay. So we had like packed up the car and I was like, oh, we're, you know, we're just going for monitoring. They're going to hook me up to a machine and check my blood pressure. And it's going to, you know, that's what they're going to do. And we get there and they get us into a room and like, I was like, but y'all are just going to monitor me. And they were like, oh, no, you have preeclampsia. We're getting, you're having a baby. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, well, okay. Um, so long story short, I, I don't know, long story long at this point. Um, they, so I was induced at 38 weeks. Um, I, it was a really hellacious labor. Um, like I think it was a 17 hour labor and I like pushed for four hours. Ugh. Like the baby did not want, he did not want to come out and I don't blame him. Um, <laughs> we were living in the middle of a pandemic, but um, I ended up hemorrhaging and then, but my doctors were great. Like, because they were like, Oh, you're losing more blood than we like to see. And like later I asked one of the nurses, I was like, so like, did I hemorrhage? Is that what you would call this? And she was like, yes, we just don't use that word because it's scary. And I was like, oh, okay. Like yeah. I had like through the whole thing, I had no idea how serious it was because I have never done this before. Like, so I didn't know like how What's fast. Normal. Yeah. yeah, I had no idea like how fast I would need an epidural or like what, you know, any, like any of it. I was just like, oh, this is normal. Um, and then like the nurse that we had on Tuesday came back on Friday and we were still in our delivery room and she was just like, I have heard some stories about you. And I was like, really? She was like, yeah, nothing, nothing about this was normal. Jeez. <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, okay. Um, because after I delivered, usually if you have preeclampsia, you deliver and everything goes back to normal. Um, me, I delivered. And my blood pressure went up, my liver enzymes got worse, and, like, they weren't getting better. So I got put on 24 hours of magnesium, which was, like, I couldn't I couldn't stand up and, like, get out of bed to pick up my baby or anything. Jeez. Um, and, like, the doctor said, you know, we're going to keep 
watching your liver enzymes and make sure everything like levels out. So we ended up staying in the hospital for a few days, but then at the same time, my baby was over nine pounds. And so when you have a baby that big, like they have their own fun little things, like he had jaundice and like ended up cracked his collarbone. Like there were just little things. He had low blood sugar. Um, but those are all common for babies who are born over nine pounds. Um, and he's fine. Like he is the bill of health now. Um, good, which is is great. But like that experience scared me to death. And my doctors told me, she was just like, there's nothing you can do to prevent preeclampsia. She was just like, it doesn't. Cause I was like, did I gain too much weight? Was I not active enough? Like, did I not drink enough water drinking a gallon a day? And she was like, no, she was just like, there's something in the placenta that causes it. Like there's nothing you can do to prevent it essentially. Um, but that like going from, I feel like a pretty fit, healthy person to like, cause like in the, like six months before I got pregnant, like I got my first unassisted chin up. Like I felt stronger than I had ever felt before. And then like fast forward a year later, like I couldn't walk up the steps and while carrying my baby, like for like the first three weeks, I wasn't allowed to carry my baby up the stairs. Wow. Um, because I was too weak and it was just like, it put, it was very scary and it was very, like it put everything into perspective of like, Oh, why I should work out and take care of myself. Um, mm-hmm. and, and when I reached out to you to schedule this call, I wanted to talk to you a lot about like my blood pressure and like managing that. Cause I know that's kind of been a big part of your journey in the past, you know, year or two. And, but like it, the funny thing is, is like, it seems like since I've gotten back to working out, my blood pressure is fine. Good. That's um, amazing. But, but my cholesterol is high. And I'm just like, and again, like the doctors were like, oh, eat some oatmeal. And I'm like, is that really it? Like, eat I some oatmeal. <laughs> <laughs> I felt, and they were like, eat less red meat. I'm like, okay, well, I eat red meat once a month, maybe. I, like, right. And, and so, and I remember I posted in the inner circle, I was like, who has high cholesterol? Because like, I, I want, a, a mathematical equation like you know to find your deficit goal body weight times 12 like what's my calculation for lowering my cholesterol and everybody's like eh, eh. So, <laughs> so and, and my doctor basically said oh we'll check in to see where it's at next year because she said she's like you're working to lose weight she's like you know we'll we'll just see where it is next year and she was like if it's so high next year we'll talk about medication but so she didn't seem crazy worried about it, but I kind of was it was it that. very high? Was it just slightly elevated? What what's it like? Um, so the the last time I had blood work done was in 2018, and then it was like a little high. Um, now it's it's probably solidly high. Um, and okay. my good cholesterol is low. Um, so and but the funny thing is, is like I know like some of it may just be genetics, and like I worked. I had a coworker, gosh, 15 years ago, and she was a strict vegan and like was like a dancer. She danced all the time. And I want to say she was a runner too. And like her cholesterol was high and her doctor just called me and was like, yeah, just cut out red meat and cheeses. And she was like, I'm a vegan. Strict <laughs> vegan. She was like, I can't, I can't cut out something I don't eat already. Um, so like I, I, 
do you have any tips on cholesterol? <laughs> yeah, so, well, you bring up an important point that with both, I mean, with everything, but with both blood pressure and cholesterol, genetics play a huge part in them. Um, their genetics are a major, major component in them. You could have someone who's otherwise lives a very healthy lifestyle. Their blood pressure could be elevated and, and their cholesterol be elevated and or, and a lot of it might just have to do with genetics. So it's a very, very important thing to understand and uh, to be aware of, to look at your family history to talk with your doctor and see if medication is a potential option. Um, yeah. With that said, there are some other things to be aware of. Do you, do you track your fiber at all? I do not. Okay. So one thing that I think is, this is actually, it's the only thing that my wife tracks. It is probably, I think I, I need to make more content around it because it is so important, but I would strongly urge you for, for 30 days, like, I don't know if you track your calories or protein or any of that. If you don't, I don't care. I would just want you to track your fiber. Um, okay. I think fiber is, it's a very easy one to track. It's literally the only number I'd want you to work, focus on. Um, and if you're getting enough fiber, it can massively help with, with cholesterol, uh, with many, many health markers, but I would definitely, and that's probably frankly why they said, well, just eat more oatmeal because it, it, uh, it does have fiber, but, um, that's not really a, a very practical tip outside of just like, all right, well, eating more oatmeal. Great. But that doesn't yeah. also, it doesn't give you enough fiber for the day. Um, so I would like you to, to track your fiber and try and get between, I think it's 20 to 25 grams a day for women is a really, really good number to shoot for. Um, okay. so that is definitely one of the major ones. Also, do you, do you take fish oil by chance? I do. Um, okay. I, I used to back 10 years ago and I actually, um, I just got some of the Legion Triton to try and oh, good. I like when, it because it, it doesn't give me the fishy burps. <laughs> yeah. That's the best part. Yes. Yeah. When, when did you start taking that? Um, about a month ago. So about, about the time I, um, went for my physical, um, to have the blood work done. Um, and I had started taking it then. Um, and I started taking like a vitamin D supplement with it too. Perfect. Um, Cause she was like, because she was just like, you're probably deficient in vitamin D too. Just go ahead and add that in there. And I was like, okay. Good. That That's smart. So definitely I would love to, because you took that, that test right around the time you started taking it. So fish oil would definitely, definitely recommend to keep taking that. It's that fish oil, vitamin D, uh, those are the two main supplements I take every day, no matter what. So, and I think that could help a lot as well. Uh, do you eat much fish or no? No, I like shrimp is probably the easiest. I only eat sh like fish in the summer, like when salmon and stuff. Like, well, I mean, I live pretty much at the beach. So um, whenever I can get to a good restaurant that has like fresh catches, like is usually when I when I eat seafood the most. Okay, good. So yeah, so definitely having the omega-3, the the fish oil pills is going to be super important for you because if you're not eating fish on a regular basis, especially fattier fish, like shrimp, one of the great things about it is it's very low calorie and high protein, but it there's like, mm -hmm. there's no fat in it and they, they don't really have right. omega-3 fatty acids. So definitely recommend taking that fish oil. And, and the best part about Legion, aside from you don't get the fish oil burps is it's a uh, very high quality. And that's the mm -hmm. hardest part to find in fish oil. Like usually I'm fine if someone t wants to take a multivitamin, go to CVS or Walgreens and get a multi if you'd like. But 
don't I the the CVS Walgreens most fish oil are not high quality and they don't have a good ratio of EPA to DHA. The Legions is is the best that I've found. So that's going to be very very helpful. Um, do you use olive oil at all? Yes, that's that's pretty much the only thing I cook with. Okay. All right. Good. And and if you if you eat any like salads, for me, my favorite dressing is I just like usually do some some olive oil, uh, maybe some lemon or vinegar or something. Um, strongly recommend using olive oil like in in fresh olive oil, not just cooked. Um, that can help a lot as well. And it, I would imagine okay. you're getting more than enough protein. But those are I think are the biggest changes you can make that will probably help for sure. Okay. The the number well, yeah, one thing fiber. Fiber, fiber, yeah. track your fiber, try to get 20 to 25 grams a day. Um, so it's not a bad idea that they said eat more oatmeal, but it's just, it's such a narrow way of saying, let's make sure you're getting more fiber. So definitely, definitely track that. And just, I would say for at least a month, track your fiber and make that your goal. And if you're using like the X's and O's for your consistency, I would say 100% make your fiber that, that decides whether or not you are consistent. Okay. Well, I can definitely add that because right now, so um, I'll kind of segue that into my next portion of um, pregnancy and consistency and all that fun stuff. So um, in December, I realized that I was having a lot of trouble with depression and it didn't manifest in what I thought depression would look like or feel like or be like. Um, which is probably the case for a lot of people. Um, but I like, it kind of culminated into a week and like, I like one week, it was the week of our company holiday party. And so like my sister and I were trying to plan that and my kid was sick. And so we had to stay home from daycare cause he had randomly spiked a fever. And I just like, had a complete breakdown <clears throat> and it was like six o'clock on a Friday morning and I was just like yelling and crying and sobbing at my husband that <clears throat> I couldn't take the day off of work and like but um the kid had to stay home from daycare and <clears throat> and then like by Sunday I was just like I am not functioning the way I should be <laughs> and and I told my husband I was like I think I think I'm this is depression like and I don't know if it's postpartum because my doctor actually said that like she considered postpartum depression like in the first three months after having a baby. Um, but I've also heard other um, professionals say that um, it can you can have struggle with postpartum depression up to two years after having a baby. Um, and, I, and it's important to note that it's not just mothers that have postpartum depression. Fathers can get postpartum depression, too. Oh, interesting. Um, I never heard that before. Yes. So. There's, to throw out another Instagram, um, there's Maternal Health Utah, I want to say, is the account. I may have that wrong. Um, but they talk a lot about how fathers can get postpartum depression and adoptive parents can get postpartum depression. Like, people think that a lot of, like, postpartum depression is just, like, hormonal changes. And, and it is, but it's also, like, routine changes. Your sleep schedule is off. Like, mm. you don't you're not master of your time anymore. Like all of these things can affect your mental health. Um, and so like in December, I was just like, okay, I, I am not functioning. I am going to, to get help on this. 
And my sister had struggled a lot with postpartum depression and she was probably my biggest advocate in being like, okay, yes, like make that call. Like you don't have to suffer through this until like you feel like you're okay. Um, And it's important to note, you also don't have to feel like you've hit rock bottom. Like you don't have to be suicidal before you ask for help. Um, I love that. And so, and then the next day I, um, so my sister and my dad are both being treated for, um, ADHD. And so I was like, I'll call their doctor, um, see if I can get in with them. And of course, like I got the voicemail and they're like, we're not accepting new patients. Oh yeah. yeah. Anybody who has sought out therapy or help with their mental health knows that making that first phone call is the hardest thing to do. Like to, to admit, okay, I'm having trouble and I can't manage this on my own. And then like being like trying to make that phone call and find help. Like that is like such a huge step. And then to like hit that wall of like, Oh, well they're not taking patients. Like what do I do now? Um, And my sister actually had an appointment the next day and she talked to him and he was just like, well, He's like, I might be able to fit her in in like three or four months. And he was like, but tell her to talk to her regular doctor. And I didn't even know this was an option for me. But I made an appointment with my OB um, and said, like, I'm having trouble with what I think is postpartum depression. I need to talk to somebody about getting some medication. <clears throat> and I was able to get in that week. And... Um, I sat down with my doctor and she was saying, okay, like, well, explain to me what what's going on. I was like, I can't, I'm having a lot of trouble regulating my moods. Like, I don't, like, I can't, like, I just feel like I have such executive dysfunction. Like, I want to do things, but I just can't get them done. Um, I was like, and I'm tired of just panicking over the littlest things and freaking out and yelling and crying all the time. And, and it's not like a sadness crying for me. It was like a rage crying. Like I couldn't, like my kid is a toddler and he would like throw his cup of milk. And every time it hit the floor, I just wanted to pick it up and like throw it as hard as I could across the living room. Um, <laughs> just so he wouldn't do it again. Um, and I was like, that's, that's not a normal reaction to have maybe. Um, and and what hurt the most is she said, well, you know, a lot of people can manage this um, without medication. Like, you know, maybe like try working out. And at that point, I almost <laughs> started crying in the appointment because for three months I had like I hadn't been working out and I had done I had done three workouts in three months and just getting like we have a full gym in our garage. Like so I didn't even have to go to the gym. But like just getting dressed and getting to the garage and starting that workout was the most excruciating mental task that you could give me. And I was doing like, even if I did light weights, I was doing, I was skipping reps. I was skipping step, like, you know, sets, like I could not get through a workout and I knew and I kept telling myself, like, oh, like, if I could just get a workout in, I know I'd feel better. But I couldn't even get a workout in. And, like, when she was just like, well, maybe you should try working out. Like, I just wanted to cry. I'm like, no, you don't understand how much I love working out. Like, I don't think you understand how much I love 
lifting weights and I can't, I can't get there. My brain won't let me. And she's like, okay. So surprised to hear that was like the, well, maybe try working out. It's like, no, no, you don't get it. I can't, I want to, but I I can't. Yeah. Jeez. I did not, I did not realize that my depression was such a physical, like such, so physically debilitating. Um, I had no, like, and I had always heard like, oh, you know, you'll have physical symptoms with depression. And I was like, yeah, I was tired and had no energy, but I didn't realize it would prevent me from just like getting on the treadmill and walking for 30 minutes. Like I just couldn't do it. And so she was like, okay, well, we'll, we'll give you some Zoloft at the really kind of light dose and we'll see how you do. And she said, give it at least three weeks to get into your system. And I started taking it that Friday night. And on Monday, I did my first workout and I didn't, I did full weights. I didn't skip any reps. I didn't skip any sets. I did the full workout and I cried at the end of it because it had been so long since I felt that good working out. That's amazing. And and like that was kind of like, I was just blown away that I didn't, I wasn't expecting it to help me that much that fast. But I, it was a lifeline for me. Um, and I haven't missed a workout since. And I, I don't know, like, I feel like the mental health space has changed a lot in the past 10 years. Like, I mean, oh, 10 years yeah. ago when I realized that I had a problem with my brain, I, you know, in my body dysmorphia, I didn't know how to fix that. And it's crazy because... Like my mother was bipolar, so I watched her pay attention to her mental health and, you know, find treatment and get help. And so like, it was probably easier for me to recognize, okay, I am not functioning well, I need help. Mm. But like for so many people, like, I think are just scared to try a medication or they try something and they don't like it. And like to know that like, if you try something and it doesn't work for you, there are other options. Like sometimes it takes three or four different medications to find what works best for you. Um, but that, I mean, and that probably was what made me be like, I, I should talk to Jordan about this because I, it changed so much for me. I did not realize that that's what was holding me back. I'm so glad that, that you're willing to talk about this. I mean, there's, you know, it, everyone talks about, you know, there's so much stigma around mental health and, and there is stigma around it. But I think a lot of that stigma is, uh, is yes, some of it's societal, but a lot, a lot of it is self-imposed, right? Where, for example, the idea of going on, on medication for many people is like, absolutely not. And their, their gut re- reaction is, I don't want to go on medication. And their the immediate thought of someone going on a medication for depression is, is they have a, a immediate, like, visceral reaction to it like no i'm not doing that absolutely not it's like well what if this could help you like if you have high blood pressure and you need and you need medication you don't blink twice at it because you know it's going to help you if you have if you have an illness you don't blink twice when the doctor says you need to go on this medication because you know it's going to help you but there's a lot of of this visceral reaction this emotional response to going on medication for anxiety or depression or any of that. And I think it's so important for people like you or for anybody to be open and honest about it. So people can hear like, listen, this, this could actually save you. It's it's, and it doesn't yeah. mean this is the the final solution. It doesn't mean that you have to be on it forever. Uh, it's not bad if you are, but in, if you're sick, 
it's not bad to take medicine. And yes, explore every option as you want, but it's not bad to go on medication and, and like you clear, like it worked incredibly well for you. And I'm so, so happy to hear that. And I'm glad that you're voicing it. Cause I think some people, they need to hear this. They, that might be the, actually the other thing you said that I think was so important was you don't need to be suicidal to ask for help. Like you don't need to be right. rock bottom to finally be like, Hey, I need help. It's if you, it, I would rather you get help before you need help so that the sort support system is already there. Yeah. And I had, I had some friends who like, I put it on my Instagram stories that I was like, Hey, like it's Christmas. And in the spirit of like parents, you know, doing everything and being happy and making the season magical for their kids. Like I'm not like, I'm, I'm not happy and I'm not functioning and I'm going to get help for it. And I had, I had friends with great intentions being like, Oh, like this helped me. And it was like organizational tips and time management tips. And I'm like, no, like my brain isn't working. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like I've lived off of my planner for 10 years. Like if I don't write anything down, like I will forget it. Like I, I I've got that part down. Like that's yeah. not what I'm struggling with. There, um, there's an issue in my brain that needs to be fixed. This is not an yes. organizational thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I had a friend, I had a friend 10 years ago who um, like when my mom was sick, recognized that I was struggling then too and he had told me he was like you could benefit from medication he was like and if you start it it doesn't mean that you have to take it forever and I didn't listen to him then I just kind of muddled through and like but his words sunk in in December and I was like okay like I can treat what's going on with me while it's going on with me and it doesn't mean that like I'm going to be on medication forever. Like it took 10 years for his words to sink in, but I'm glad he said it when he did. I love that. Yeah. Morgan, you're amazing. You're really, I, I'm, I, I'm so glad that we had this conversation and I, I really, really appreciate you being willing to talk so openly and candidly with me. Um, I, I'm going to ask you a question and, and feel free to, to, decline I is that your dog <laughs> yes I'm sorry I was like I told my husband like before he left I was like I'm sure like my dog is gonna start like barking at some point like like that like <laughs> that's what I'll, I'll let you go asleep. she's been asleep this whole time she's like oh y'all are wrapping up let me let me start barking now at well, nothing nothing I'll, I'll so. quickly ask do you feel comfortable sharing your your Instagram or social media if people would like to reach out to you and talk to you? And if not, that's totally fine. You do not have to. Um, so personally, I would say no. If if anybody wants to talk to me, you can find me in the inner circle. Love that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but if if anybody wants to follow our Blueberry Farm, it's Shaken Creek Farms on Instagram. Um, How do and you that's spell Shaken, that? Um, S H A K E N Shaken Creek. Shaken Creek Farms. Perfect. Yes. Perfect. Morgan. Um, and we probably haven't posted anything in months, but it's there. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you so much. I, I appreciate you more than I can begin to say, and I'm so excited to see you at the Inner Circle Retreat. Uh, yeah, seriously, thank you. I really, really appreciate this conversation. Oh, you're welcome. Also, one last thing. Um, if you still have some of that venison backstrap, I yes. have a great venison Wellington uh, recipe that I will send you. Please send it because I do have more backstraps. I would love that. Thank you. You're you're welcome. As as a fellow hunter, like I have just thoroughly enjoyed you sharing that. So 
Well, oh, we're going to have to have another call to talk about that as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We'll do that. Thank you, Morgan. Have a wonderful day. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Jordan. Bye. Bye. That wraps it up for this episode of the Jordan Syatt Mini Podcast. Morgan, thank you so much for coming on, and thank you to everyone for listening. If you'd like to join the Inner Circle, you can do that at the link in the show notes or www.sfinnercircle.com. Have a wonderful day, and I'll talk to you soon.